I love our guest's answer today to the question, if you could put a billboard up anywhere, what would it be? Here's what he shared. You'd see people inside of a company working on something, clearly being productive and laughing. And you'd see the energy and also see the results coming in this one picture. And the words on that billboard would be the secrets of facilitation. It works. That's our topic today. Our interview is with Michael Wilkinson, the Managing Director of Leadership Strategies, the largest provider of professional facilitators and facilitator-related training in the United States is with us. Can't wait to share it with you. Michael, hit it. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Hello, hello, hello. This is Susie Price of Priceless Professional Development, and you are listening to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, where we cover everything related to helping you and the employees in the organizations you work in and support activate their greatness and wake up eager. I am a professional facilitator, and I started Priceless Professional Development, a training and development company in 2004. We are experts in an assessment science called Trimetrics, and we help leaders and consultants use that science to assist in their efforts to create a wake-up eager workforce. So we're all about wake-up eager here This science can be used throughout the employee life cycle, through the hiring process, onboarding, in leadership development, in conflict resolution, and team building. We are also thought leaders in this process and in this science, and we train and certify others to become experts in the science. And our thought leadership is through our books, our blog, our podcast. And uh, speaking of our podcasts, thank you for joining today. The directory for all of our episodes is at wakeupeagerworkforce.com, wakeupeagerworkforce.com. And my website for all of the work that we do is at pricelessprofessional.com. And you can reach me at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Susie, lowercase S-U-Z-I-E. So this is episode number 60. And the title of today's episode is Why Facilitative Leaders Have Greater Success. The Eight Core Practices of Facilitative Leaders. And it is with Michael Wilkinson. The show notes for today's episode can be found at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash facilitation. And that's all lowercase, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash facilitation. I'm super excited about this interview. I just got off of the interview, and so I'm very inspired and jazzed and uh, always like what I get to share. I am pretty picky about who I decide to interview and discuss, and it's usually for personal and professional reasons, and I'm super excited about this discussion and being able to share it with you today because I know you're going to be inspired and you're going to know more about what a facilitative leader means. Um, I'm super excited also because Michael's work is one of the key foundational pieces to my own personal and professional growth and happiness as a facilitator and business owner. And as I was listing, I'm like, what would be the foundational pieces that have got me through the 16 years, you know, the things that I came across early on and have stuck with that have been as though it was a, a bright light oh, shining over over them when I found them as an answer to things I was looking for or wanting or that 
you know, are part of who I am and the difference I want to make, I guess. So the first would be when I found the assessment company, TTI Success Insights, and I just did that interview with Rick Bowers. And um, that company and that whole network has been crucial and foundational to my business. Finding Robert S. Hartman's work. I'm now on the Hartman board. You all have been hearing about that. The work, and I, we talk a little bit about that today with Michael in, in, in one of his one of the areas, but the work in axiology and how that helps me understand and help people in the hiring process and coaching and helping understand my own growth. A technical piece, the third part that's been foundational is my website partner. It's a site sell or I don't even know how SBI is what I call it. I've got a link to it, but it, it has helped me be a great facilitator online because it's taught me so much about all the stuff I need to know to be online and to put up things like this podcast or my wake up your Wednesday tips or to communicate. And the fourth tool is learning and using facilitation skills in my business. And, and I've learned them all through Michael. Um, so he came along in his his book, first book on what, that I had access to, The Secrets of Facilitation, was my Bible. I mentioned that in the conversation today was my Bible. I, it's worn and used. You know, it's a great book when you have underlined pages and you've got notes and sticky notes and, you know, the, the cover's all damaged because you've carried it everywhere. Well, I think this next book that Michael has about the eight core practices of facilitative leaders is going to be that same kind of book for you. If you are a leader and you are wanting to get more from your people and have greater success and more joy in your work and to create a wake up bigger leader life, then you are going to want to have these skills. So here are the some main kind of areas that we talk about. We talk about what facilitative leadership is and why it matters, why, why you want to take a facilitation approach. What does that look like? Why does it matter? Why encouraging disagreement is good? And uh, he goes into great, right off the bat, we start talking about reasons for conflict and strategies for working with. There's only three reasons for conflict. He talks about those and just the benefit of changing your mind a little bit about instead of avoiding conflict, understanding the power of it. If you're going to be a great leader, you have to have this piece. And he is brilliant at this. You're going to get an actionable tip, an actionable tip that if you do this tip at the beginning of every project and every meeting, you're going to inspire people more. You're going to lead better immediately. You're going to be seen as and become more of a visionary. So look for that tip because you'll hear it uh, midway through. Why being a meeting snob is a good thing and how to become one. We're going to talk about that. I am a meeting snob, so and I'm proud of it. Uh, and you'll see why and what that matters. You're going to learn about a formula. ED equals RD times CD. And you are going to want to know what that formula is. Um, you're going to figure out what it means and why you want to use it in your life as a leader. I reference it often in any leadership training sessions that I do. And I've taken it completely from Michael <laughs> and his work. It's powerful. And we also talk about Michael's life and his journey. It's been a very interesting journey. And so you're going to want to listen all the way through. Uh, so those are the key areas. There's so much here. I want you to know a little bit about Michael. He is the managing director of leadership strategies. That's They are the largest provider, professional facilitators and facilitator related training in the United States. He's widely recognized in the facilitation industry. He is a guru. 
and he's active in in the in business and in the in government. He's facilitated hundreds of strategy sessions for large organizations or major organizations, government agencies, nonprofits. He's sought after and in demand as a facilitator, a trainer, and a speaker. So it's a joy that he was able to take time to be on this podcast, especially since he's one of my mentors and been foundational in my world. And I know you'll hear my admiration for him when you're listening to the podcast, but he is also all over the world. 25 international locations has he done his work, places like Istanbul, Hong Kong, Stockholm, Vienna, Beijing. He's been everywhere. He is noted for his dynamic presentation style. You will feel that here. He's also has unique insights. He is uh, engaging and results oriented. He's the whole package. <laughs> it's all good. So he's got a lot of other accomplishments that are all facilitator based. Um, you'll be able to see his bio on his facilitation and speaking website, which we'll, we'll have links to with the show notes at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash facilitation. At the end of the interview, I'll do a quick recap. And at the end of our discussion, he shares how he started his facilitation company and how he started caring about and becoming a facilitation expert. And so I'm going to share a few insights at the end of this episode about how I became a professional facilitator and why I am such a fan of this skill set. So let's go to the interview now. You're going to love it. Hello, Michael. Thank you so much for being here. You know, it's my pleasure, Susie, and thank you for the opportunity. Well, you are one of my superstars and want to jump right into the work you're doing around facilitative leadership in your new book. And people may or may not be familiar with what facilitative leadership is. So why don't we start right there at the beginning? What is facilitative leadership and why does it matter today more than ever before? And I hear you, Susie, but before I jump in, I just, I've got to say, you know, just really, I have appreciated working with you since 2004. Do you realize it's been 15 years yep. when we uh, first met at the Southeast Association of Facilitators? And, you know, I, I get to travel all over the world and I meet lots of people. And every so often you meet somebody and you go, wow, this person is going places. This person is going far. And so it's been great watching you, watching your blog work, watching what you're doing uh, with the assessment work and helping teams and helping individuals and coaching and so on. I mean, you are a true testament to what we call facilitation becoming a function, not a role, where it's a skill that many people have. And whether you and your work are applying it to coaching, whether you're applying it working with teams, it's really clear that you're just doing excellent work. And I just want to applaud you on that because it is great to see. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I think I've told you that uh, when I think of the foundation of my four foundational pieces of my work, you're one of the four. And it was the piece that was missing is these facilitation skills. And they are, you're correct. In my mind, it's not a role. It is behaviors that you learn to do to make yourself more effective, to make people more effective, you know, to make things easy for people to be an effective leader in front of the room, whether you're the officially the leader or you're the facilitator or the speaker. So every all of your work, I mean, it makes so much sense to me that you now have this book out because it is a skill that leaders need, no matter where you, you are in your leadership I mean, career. You really got it that in essence, 
here are facilitators all over the world, people with the title, doing all these great things, working with executives, working with teams. And it always happens where executives will go, wow, you know what? We need more of our people to be able to do this skill. And so we end up getting, whether we're helping people run better meetings or helping people facilitate training sessions or helping them facilitate discussion groups or focus groups or uh, IT teams or requirements analysis. It's them saying, hey, I need more of my people doing this. And so facilitative leader is the first time we've turned our attention to say, you know what, leader, not only do you need more of your people doing this, guess what? You can be more effective if you're doing, because step back, you think about, you said it, you know, facilitation comes from that Latin word facil, which means to make easy. And what is every leader trying to do if great leaders recognize their role is to make it easy for their people to be effective? And so it's real transformative when we start giving leaders facilitation skills big time. So when we think about a facilitator leader, they understand the core concept, I mean, they, they get it. They get that they can be more effective as a leader if when they address problems, when they make decisions, when they can actually take a facilitative approach, which means get the people who are gonna be impacted by the decision involved in creating the decision. Because one, you get better decisions because they understand stuff that you as the leader don't understand, Two, because they're creating it, they understand it and they buy into it, which means you get higher levels of commitment to the decision. So better decisions, you know, often faster because you don't get the pushback and so on. And then just all this buy-in to implementing it. It's a win, win, win. So when leaders understand the skills they need to be able to do that, it's the triple win. And that's what the book is really all about, laying out these eight core principles that, hey, when it comes to making a decision, solving a problem, putting together a strategy, think about these eight core principles and apply them to whatever you're working on. Awesome. And it, it's so funny to me how easily we can forget that if we get other people involved in decision making, that we're going to have a better decision. And hey, by the way, why don't we get the people involved in decision making who are impacted by the decision <laughs> and who know yeah, the work there. better than anybody? Yeah. Uh, but, and it's, but it's there's a real reason why it doesn't happen, yeah. and it's all the time because we as leaders don't like conflict. We're yep. poorly equipped to deal with conflict. So why would I? And I've had many leaders ask me, Michael why would I ask them their ideas? Because won't they be upset if we don't do them? And we go, stop, wait a minute. You <laughs> tell me, would you better be in the room and have a chance to give your input? Or would you rather just take whatever comes out? Even if your input isn't taken, at least you had a chance to share, understand why the decisions were made. And more times than not, those who are, impacted by the decision will actually provide input that shifts to the decision in ways that gets better buy-in and makes it a better decision. So leaders really need to understand that disagreement isn't bad. In fact, disagreement is good, right? I, right. I feel like right, Glecko from the movie Wall Street, greed is good. Yes. Disagreement yes. is good because it means that there's an opportunity for a better solution, stronger buy-in. 
So you want as leaders to encourage disagreement. Why? So that you can get the better decisions. Yes. And so that's unusual. It's not something that, and if you don't have the, the tools, because as you know from your work, see, there are only three reasons people disagree. Every disagreement in the world, every single one. And I mean, we've trained 27 people in facilitation skills. We have not had a single person say there's a fourth reason. There are only three. And so as we as leaders can understand those three reasons, we're way ahead of the game. But that's the good news, of course, Susie. There are only three reasons. Now, here's the bad news. <laughs> if you have a level three disagreement, you try to solve it with level one techniques, you're going to fail. Likewise, you have a level one disagreement, try to solve it with level two techniques, you're going to fail. So, Susie, we make it such a point to help people understand the three reasons people disagree. Give leaders the tools to diagnose. Is it a level one, two, or three? And then strategies, and that's all we need. We need just strategies to how do we address it so that we can have disagreement for lunch. <laughs> that's have disagreement cool for lunch. I like that. <laughs> yes, okay, yes. so what are the three reasons? I, I know what they are, but let's have you share them. Oh, uh, yes, yes, I've yes. been through your What's training in other facilitation yeah, worlds. But well, share. That, yeah, that first reason is it's the most common, and it's lack of shared information. One person has information that the other doesn't have, and they're disagreeing. They're disagreeing, and they're fighting each other. And they, they are typically what Lancioni, Patrick Lancioni speaks to is they're in advocacy mode. Both sides are making statements, statements, statements. If one of them just steps back and goes into inquiry mode and asks questions, well, why do you say that? Why do you believe that? Well, how would that work? Well, what end up happening is one of the other side says, oh, is that what you meant? And leaders can know when, those, when they hear those words, their work is done. A level one disagreement has been solved. The information has gotten on the table. And they have, level one disagreements happen so often, there's a name for it, right? It's called violent agreement. Mm. They're really in agreement, but they don't know it. And they're arguing. Yeah. So we as facilitated leaders, we need to have the tools, we call it delineation, to really quiet down, get to inquiry mode, so that we can get the information on the table. So once more, one of the other is going to say, oh, is that what you meant? Level one disagreement solved. Now, level two is different. See, level one disagreements about information. Level two disagreements are about values and experiences. They have different values or have had different experiences. They understand each other completely. And, you, and the way you solve a level two disagreement is pretty simple. You isolate the most important values. And then you create solutions that combine those values. It is a creativity process that really gets to even better solutions because you understand the underlying values. And we have, while that may sound, oh, wow, technical, how do we get the values? It's pretty simple. When you ask somebody the strengths of their, the alternative they favor, they, without knowing it, are going to tell you their values. And by using the strengths and merge strategies, you get to better solutions. So level one, we said, is information. Level two is experiences or values. Level three is different from that. Level three is nasty. It is personality, past history, or other outside factors. Basically, Susan, they don't like each other. Right. And they're going to argue, argue, argue. And you can't solve level to three disagreements in the room. You can't. There's yeah. not enough time to make these pissy people kiss, kissy, kissy, huggy, huggy. <laughs> so what do you do, right? Yeah. You really have to take it to a higher source. 
Right. Level three disagreements aren't solved at this level. You take it to a higher source. And that's fun stuff. So we want leaders to understand, hey, disagreement is good because you can get the better solutions, right? Because as we say, if a leader says we should do this and everyone says, okay, you basically have on a one to 10 scale, you may have a level three solution. But if disagreement is encouraged, then somebody's going to say, well, that's not going to work because of this. And someone says, well, how about if we do this? Now we got into a level five. Someone else says, well, you know what? That's good, but how about if we do this? Now you're at six. Someone else says, yeah, but that's not going to, how about if we do, now we're at eight. So we get the better solutions and what's it called? Creative abrasion that when people have disagreement and they can rub against each other, you get to better solutions from that. And so giving strategies where you talk about strengths and weaknesses and look at alternatives and then create better alternatives and so on you get the better solutions. So we just have equipping leaders with those first thing understanding and then the tools to address disagreement makes a big difference. Big difference. And it, I think uh, underlying all of that has to be the willingness to let go of control. And I okay, think you, you let go. go of control when you have confidence in your skills to manage the lack of control. <laughs> mm, that's nice. That ambiguity and being yeah. in that place. And that's good yeah. when you know that, yeah, you understand, okay, we're in disagreement here and it feels a little uncomfortable, but I know how, yes. I know how to go. I know where this is going or I'm okay. That yes. This is, this is beneficial. Exactly. Um, and you know, the more the leader and it is a switch. I and mean, I, I remember it's what's coming to mind to me is many years ago, I was teaching sales training. I don't do any of that anymore, but early on. And I remember it was with medical device people. It was at Kimberly Clark. And our, what we were trying to help them do is to not come in there and pitch products. So I hope this doesn't mm, sound off track, but they changed, the, right. the, what no, they needed they to changed. do was make the switch to listen and try to understand where is this doctor coming from? Where is this hospital coming from? What do they really need? What do they really want? And in order to do that, they had to let go of control and get into an inquiry mode. And I'm Love interested it. in you mode. Um, and to me, it. to me, that applies here. It's, uh, it, it, that just kept coming to mind because I remember as soon as somebody made the switch, and then they had skills to handle the call or the conversation because they had to report to somebody afterwards and say, hey, I did this or didn't do that. They could turn off the I got to kind of manage these people who aren't manageable to get what I want, which never works. In this case, it's the um, leader saying, OK, I can't manage these people and make them do what I want them to do. That's right. So we're moving them, which is really cool, as even with yourselves. I mean, you're moving them from being, hey, I'm a presenter. I'm going to tell you about my product to now I'm going to facilitate the link between your need and my potential solution. And right. to, to facilitate that link, they needed to then go into question mode to understand the need, which really gets to a key skill of facilitative leaders. They yeah. know. They need to ask questions. You know what? I realize we probably should step through those eight core practices. Yes, and just, let's do that. Just give a sentence on each one. And we say of the practices, and they sort of make sense in order. Start with the why. Engage with the how. What typically happens with leaders is the command and control. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do this. And we go, no, stop. Don't do that. Start with the why. Hey, here's what our need is. 
Let's talk about how we need to make this happen. So always start with the why. Two, understand and empower. Don't command and control. Understand meaning understanding who you're working with and the work that you're doing with Trimetrics is really helpful there as leaders begin to understand, hey, there are different communication styles. I need to communicate with people differently. Situational leadership skills. Hey, you know what? Some people I need to direct. Some people I can coach. Some people I can delegate to. Now, I may have my preference. I may be a natural delegator, but then those people who need to be directed, I'm going to fail with because they're not going to have enough direction. Or if I'm a natural director where I want to tell people what to do, then there are people who know what to do and they should be delegated to and they're going to feel like you're a micromanager. So I need to understand my people and empower them appropriately versus command and control. Understand and empower, don't command and control. And that Three, is the switch. Is, oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say that's just the no, switch please. of, hey, it's more about me understanding my people than me making them understand me, which exactly. is kind of, it, yeah, fact, it, as a facilitator, same thing is to be just same thing. interested. Yeah. Third principles, Susie, hits it directly. Okay. It says, great. communicate in their language, not yours. And you mentioned the work you do with DISC as a communication style. Some people use Myers-Briggs. They may use HBDI. doesn't matter the tool. The key is we often say DISC as an example. Our course, DISC, it's not about you. <laughs> it really isn't. <laughs> yeah. It's about them. Yes. And you're understanding their style and communicating in their language. We all love working with people whose style is similar to ours because it's easy to communicate with them. It's like talking to ourselves. But the key is leaders. We need to understand to be effective with each individual and bring out the best in that person, i.e. bring out the leader in them. It's helpful when we communicate in their language. Four is one of the, my favorite, and it's the one that I have to say I personally continue to work on to this day. Connect first, correct second. Connect first, correct second. You know, when people, I'm, a, I'm naturally, a, and you learned it from me Susie, early on in our relationship, our creator made me a process improver. That is who I am. <laughs> yeah. so, and I it's mean, a I beautiful am, thing to observe. Yeah. It is. Well, it's cool just, you yes, know, because I can, I can see process. I can break down processes. I can document the processes. I can identify best practices. He just created me that way. And that's cool, except when it comes to people. Most people aren't interested in you improving them. They'd rather improve themselves. <laughs> and so I've had to learn that when it's time to give correction, I have to connect first. I have to let them know and remind them of what they're doing great. I have to remind them of what I appreciate them for and I can see their efforts. I have to connect with them first before I have the permission to correct. And it's just every single day learning that lesson, connect first, correct second. Praising, I used to walk around with three pennies in my pocket. Yep. <laughs> and uh, every time I gave someone praise, I could take one penny and move it to the other side because yes. I naturally was sharing with people things they could do to improve. Yes. So my, my goal was at the end of each day, have the three pennies in the other pocket. <laughs> and that, it took me a while before that became something <laughs> I did on a regular basis. Awesome. So a nice little trick. Yes. Well, let's talk about five. Five, equip for success. Monitor for results. One of the things that many leaders don't understand is 
they often commission a person, a team, a group, a division to take action without equipping them for success, without making sure they def- we've defined for them, hey, here's our purpose. Here's what we're trying to achieve here. Here's the specific deliverable we want you to achieve. Here's how we define success. Here are your constraints, the things you have to work with, the boundaries you have around it. Here are the resources. We poorly equip teams, and they often wander in the desert trying to get to a solution that we haven't defined for them. So we say equip for success, and then we have other leaders who equip well but never monitor, right? They never monitor for results. How many strategic plans get put up on a shelf and don't look at it looked at again until a year later? So we say equip for success, monitor for results. Six, we've already talked about engage conflict, encourage disagreement. Seven, drive strategic thinking throughout the organization. Leaders often confuse strategic thinking with strategic planning. We say those are two entirely different things. Uh, Strategic thinking is the broad category that everyone in the organization should understand how to do. And there are only a few who may be involved in strategic planning. But everyone should be involved in strategic thinking, i.e. making decisions that aren't tactical, but that are strategic. And so we're teaching leaders how to get their people thinking strategically about everything, right? A tactical decision. Where do I go to lunch today? Well, I had Mexican yesterday, had Chinese the day before. Hmm, I think I'll go for Italian. Very tactical decision. Or you can make that decision strategically. Where do I go to lunch today? Well, where am I going with my career? Who are the people who might help me and who might I want to go to lunch with as a part of? Or you know what? What Where are my customers? What customers? And so using every decision as a decision for strategic focus as opposed to a tactical one. So we say drive strategic thinking throughout the organization. And, of course, eight. The one that you and I know absolutely kills every organization. <laughs> it's Sorry, amazing to me. Huge. I mean, I know very yeah. successful consultants who stink at this, and I don't know how they, yeah. how they, yes. Yeah, you got to start executing close yes. every meeting masterfully, making yes. sure when you bring people together, yes. you understand how to engage them. You understand how to excite them and get them involved. You know how to keep meetings on track and keep them focused on getting the work that needs to get done, done. You know how to engage people so everyone's participating, no one's dominating. You know how to prevent dysfunctional behavior, but should it occur, how to resolve it. And you know how to close so that we have accountability and action as we go forward. So we say start, execute, and close every meeting masterfully. So those eight principles is when we say, if you want to take a facilitative approach to solving a problem, making a decision, putting together a strategy, whatever it is you're doing, TAFA, take a a facilitative approach. Yes. And so those eight principles are what it's all about. Okay. So which one do you think leaders most struggle to implement or buy into? You know, I know you have to say it. You know, it's the one we've already talked about. Engage conflict, encourage disagreement. They run away from that. And it's really an important one for us to really skill up leaders to really one. You know, it's about mindset, right? It's about changing the mind, because once you change the mind, the behavior will follow. 
So change the mindset to see that conflict and disagreement is good. That you want to, well, disagreement's good. Conflict's got to be resolved. You can't sit on it. You can't let it sit because it will, will cause problems. It's inevitable too. I mean, there is going to be conflict. There is conflict. You might as well take that on and learn how to manage it effectively. Yes. Now, Susie, watch out. You're sounding like a high D. Yes, but there (laughs) is. I am off the chain D. Uh, But but there is going to be conflict, set or unset. If it's, you know, there's the steadiness so folks just, in the room who won't speak up and you, you go talk to them. But anyway, yes, there you go. Encourage it. It's an important okay. one. And so that is the one that leaders struggle moving toward. And you, you really outlined in a very efficient manner. And I know it's in complete detail in your book, how to do a better job of this engaging conflict and encouraging disagreement. Um, it's a skill set every leader needs. So you need to get the book listeners and go to engage conflict and encourage disagreement and take it on. <laughs> mm, thank you for that, Susie, because it is, and as you said, it's, we really do want leaders to be well equipped. It's because of the lack of strategies. Yeah. We don't know how yes. that we choose the avoid strategy. And it, it's lack of strategy, but it's also at a feeling place a little bit. I grew up where people did, didn't have those conversations. It was all undercurrents, you know, wow, so it was all driven you crazy. And it drive uh, you crazy. Well, it was all unsaid. Yeah, it was all yeah. unsaid. And so, you know, I didn't know how to do that. Um, and so it's, you know, taking my whole career, I've taken that on. It's like, okay, I've got to figure out how to do this effectively because I didn't have role models. And I think that's a lot of people. We don't, we have not had role models that have, have known how to effectively have these conversations. So we need the role models. We need the flip in our mind and we need the strategies. Um, well, Michael, good. you're a great role model. So, and I happen to be married to a great role model. So um, mm, that's really nice cool too. Isn't that a blessing? Um, that is a very much. Yes. Yeah, so talk about which of the ones, which of the eight surprise leaders the most or where people, leaders say, well, I don't need to do that. Um, mm. And then how do you get them to buy in? Which one is yeah. that? Out of well, the let's eight? go back to the first, the start okay. with the why. Okay. Engage with the how. And this is especially with leaders who come out of the command and control, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, I just need people to follow me. I just need people to follow me just to do what I say. Yes. And we say, you know what? That is true. But what a difference. And this comes from Simon Sinek work and on uh, Start With The Why. And yeah. he gives a great example in his book of person walking and um, seeing a, a guy laying one brick over the other brick and one brick over another brick. And the, the person asks, what are you doing? I don't know. They just told me to do this. It's hot. It's hard. It really is grilling. I hate this job. It's horrible. Keeps walking and 500 feet later, sees another guy doing the exact same thing, laying one brick over another brick. But this guy's whistling. I ask him, hey, what are you doing? Oh, my God. I'm building a cathedral because he understands the why. By understanding the why, it can change everything. And so we say absolutely start with the why and getting leaders to really buy in. Hey, focus on getting the why out and then you engage them and talking about how to do it. Just engage them. 
Because you may have thoughts and you can add your thoughts, but let them speak first. Engage them in describing how to do it. And by the way, you may learn something. They may come up with stuff you hadn't even thought of. So that's one that we often find that leaders are surprised and think, you know, is that really important? Is that really important? Yes, it's really important when it comes to engaging people, getting their buy-in, and getting that extra effort that they have the choice to give you or not. And it's interesting to me, too, with your example with the Simon Sinek Cathedral or Cathedral, I'm building a cathedral or I hate it, is, you know, most leaders will tell you, hey, I want to be inspiring. I want to be a visionary. Well, guess what? (laughs) Starting with the why is being inspiring and visionary. You know, but then when you have to go do it, like I'll even do communication scripts sometimes when we're going to be doing a 360 or we're going to be doing a project. And I'll say, I want you to share why it's important to the company, why it's important to the team, why it's important to you. And they're just like, "Eh." I don't want it feels too soft or it feels too mushy or I think that's part of it, you know. Sometimes it's I want to command and control, but some of it is it just feels soft, you know, and, and the thought is, you know, if you really want to be a visionary, this is what yeah, part of that yeah. is. And I'll, I'll give one tip in particular oh, to uh, people on the call about how do you start with the why? And everyone understands with them what's in it for me. That's what people are listening to. If when you start with the why, you use the words you or your at least four times, it will make sure that the why you're giving is personalized to them. It's personalized to them. Because we could, for example, if we've got a team that we're getting together and they're a task force to fix the hiring process, we could easily say, hey, good morning. As you know, our, our hiring process is broke. And so we're bringing you all together so that we do a great job of creating a hiring process that's gonna help the company Uh, Make it more efficient, make it more effective. That's where the leader starts. Now, that's not bad. It's just not great. So if the leader understands that the you and your, it's what it's all about, he or she may say something like this. Hey, good morning, everyone. I just want to thank you for being a part of this. As you know, uh, the purpose of this whole work that we're going to be doing is to improve our hiring process. Now, today, each of you are responsible for people. You may have people on your team that really aren't quite the right people you need because the process of hiring them didn't get that. As a result, you're having to work so much harder because of what they're not doing. So this is your opportunity to put a process in place that's gonna help you and your department get the people you need to do the job that you need them to do. You get the idea, Susie. I mean, oh, all the yeah. youth in yours, it was Love like it. personalized. It's about, okay, here's why I should care about this. Yes. And so yes. we teach leaders that, hey, you know what? Make sure you give the why. And when you give it, make sure it's clear what's in it for them by making sure your why includes you and your or your at least four times, at least. Just a thought. I think awesome. that your listeners it, may find that interesting. Yes. And that's part of uh, Michael Magic. Is that a new phrase we've made now? Michael Magic. Michael which is, Magic. <laughs> that's, that's what you do. You take something that somebody does it very effectively and, and you just it just looks like it just happened. And you dissect it and you say, this is the elements of this behavior 
that made it effective. That's why I walked around with your facilitation book for years in my briefcase and my Bible, because you do these things, which is this. You're going to do a why statement four times. You're your and leader just has to do it once or a facilitator just has to do the things you say once. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm a magician. Michael's a magician and I'm so good, you know, because of your magic. So there you well, go, guys. I, do it four I, I times and you got yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. well, you know, I do appreciate your I mean, I think we all as what you're doing is empowering me, Susie, with your words, because what we want to do as leaders is tell people. I see you. Yes. I recognize your greatness. And that's what you're doing for me by pointing out, hey, this is my superpower. My it superpower, is, superpower is. And everyone has a superpower. Yes. And when they are, when other people see their superpower, when other people see it, acknowledge it and show value for it, it makes stuff happen. And everyone, everyone is endowed with their superpower. And unfortunately, oftentimes, it's being overlooked or they're in jobs where their superpower isn't allowed to shine. And so when you get in touch with your own superpower and can find where it can shine, it makes a difference. And you're yeah. right. I mean, people in my personal life say, Michael, do you facilitate all the time? Can't you just have a regular conversation? <laughs> like, oh, and I no. share with them, I'm, <laughs> it's not that I do facilitation. I am facilitation. That's who I am. I can't yeah. help myself. Yes. So that's yes. really cool. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Magic Michael. So what is your favorite practice out of the eight? Mine is the one that you don't love so much, but you say you kind of love it because you always focus on it, um, is connect first, correct second. And I have to say that some people love stuff because they're good at it. Some people love stuff because they recognize they have to work on it. And that is me. I connect first, correct second. That's so simple, right? So simple. Connect first, correct second. And just remembering it. And so I'm, I'm there as yeah. well as one. I like understand and empower. Don't command and control. Yeah. And once more, to, to use the Michael magic here, yes. I often hear from leaders, wait a minute, I can't empower people because I don't trust them. Mm. And as you can imagine, trust is one of those words that is really, really soft. And so what we do is we break soft things down into its pieces so that we can deal with it. So we know that there are five C's to trust, five specific C's, that when you say, I trust someone, it's because of one of these five C's, one or more. One, we say because of, uh, we, use, we call it the trust triangle that has three sides and two bases. So on the left side of the triangle is competence that I believe you have the skills to do the job. On the right side is uh, you have communication, that when we communicate, we understand each other, we talk well. On the bottom of the, th of the triangle is what we call commitment. I trust you because you are committed to making this happen, and I know you're committed. Then we add two other bases to the triangle. We add that we know that you care about me. I trust you because you got my back. I know you care about me. And the last one is character. I trust you because I know you're honest. You have high integrity. You don't lie and so on. And so we say with these five C's, you can recognize when it's missing. When is competence missing? They're making mistakes. When is communication missing? Hey, we end a meeting with an agreement and, and later you find out, well, that's not what you said. That's not what I heard. That's not 
but you know when commitment's an issue, they're not showing up. They're not doing what they said they're going to do. You know when caring is an issue. Why? Because they're not asking you questions. Why? They're not asking you, what do you want? Why? Because they don't care. (laughs) They're not taking your thoughts into consideration because they don't care. And then you know when character is an issue, of course, they lie. And so there are strategies for addressing each one of the issues. And here's Mm -hmm. what's cool about the trust triangle. As you go lower in the triangle, the more challenging it is to address the issue. Uh, the confidence issue, that's easy, right? Let's get training. Yeah. Let's get some yes. coaching. Communication issue. Hey, we go through a communication workshop together and we learn how to communicate with each other in our different styles. Okay, commitment. Ooh, wow. Now we're going from skills to behavior. Ooh, that's a little tougher. Yeah, you have to show up. You have to do. We're at the behavior level now. Then you get to caring. Oh, my God, we're at the feeling level now. Ugh, I got to show you that I care about you. That's tough. Then we have character. Wow. Okay. Yeah, as we like to say, if you have a competence issue, okay, give it six months. If you have a character issue, give it a weekend. There we go. Yes. Amen, brother. We love breaking it down. So how do you build trust when you understand and power? Figure out which C it is. Yes. And then put together a plan to address that C. Mm. Once more, we just love breaking things down into pieces so that people can actually do practical strategies to make it happen. Uh, So understand and empower. Don't command and control. Yes, yes, that's that's some true Michael magic right there. So what I'm and seeing is leaders doing what I did with the facilitation book is carry your book around and just little by little chip away at these because it is definitely yeah. a process of you have to read it, but then you have to try it. And I think that you make that, it very easy to try advice. it. Yes, that's the advice we give to people who come to our course. We teach a we take the eight modules and we have them in uh, half day, as you know, with leaders. Yes. <laughs> Getting them away yes. for four days is never going to happen. And with so learning, we, too, really. You yeah, kind of need to hear it. Hear it. You know, take it in, go try it, and then come back and talk about it. There you I go. Think. You some know, of, so that some of our clients love doing the, you know, half day once a week yeah. kind of thing, and they, yep. they go away with homework and they apply it. Yes. Some of our clients like, Hey, let's do uh, the first two days as a two-dayer, and then we'll follow up with half days for the last four modules and yep. so on. So it can be yes. uh, taught in many, many different formats, formats to meet yep. the client needs. Yes. But yeah, you do have to understand the skills, right? Because as we say, there are only three types of behavioral issues, right? The first yep. is awareness, right? Yep. People don't have awareness, so raise their awareness. And for many times, that will solve the problem, just being aware. But then other times they're aware, but they don't have the strategies or the skills to make it happen. That's what skills building is about. You build the skills. But then you have, (laughs) as you know, if it's not awareness and if it's not skill, we're down to will. (laughs) It's a will issue. Yes. And so addressing will issues are very, very different. But the answer is always the same. Start with the why. Yeah. Start with the why. Get their buy-in that this is important to change. And because you're really trying to motivate the will. Yes, yes. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Another beautiful thing is your work with meetings. I, at one point, 
because of my style and I work to manage my style, but I can be impatient and I don't like sitting through inefficient meetings. And so I stopped going to meetings basically, unless I could run them. You know, people would ask me to be on their board or they'd ask me, it's like, okay, I don't know. Tell me a little bit about yeah. how your meetings run and tell me, you know, how much time how, you know, do I have ability to have an impact on those meetings? And so it's, you know, been so interesting to me. I'm in a, I was in a group of uh, top producers for the sales of the assessment and very high end, you know, people that do great work all over the country. We were not having effective meetings. I'm in another group where it's uh, great thinkers around science and again, some of these basic things that you teach around meetings are just not there. So I don't say that in a haughty way. Uh, I say it in a, it's a real big issue <laughs> for yeah, people I, in meetings. And I, I love having the skill set. I'm not perfect, but I certainly care about this because it's such a problem. So that I love that's one of the core skills, start, execute, and close every meeting masterfully. It's uh, number eight. Talk a little bit about are people willing to build this skill? Because in evidence, I mean, a lot of people don't have it. And then how do you help them see it? I know you have a great book, Masterful Meetings, which I have referenced before. And I actually have a podcast that includes it in there, some of the stuff that you talk about. But how do you get leaders to get invested in this topic? That is an excellent question. An excellent question. And I really appreciate it, Susie. And I want to go deep here for a minute because you are absolutely right. If you said who outside of the CEO would be most unhappy with the level of meetings across an organization, it, of course, would be the COO, the chief operating officer, the person most responsible for making stuff happen effectively and efficiently. And so when we talk with COOs, getting them clear on the impact meetings are having. The conversation typically sounds like this. If you can take a few minutes, would love to chat with you about the one area in most businesses where there is so much waste and yet for the most part is completely unaddressed. Yep. And that's all the time spent in useless, unnecessary, yep. ineffective meetings. People are waste. You have managers who are spending 50% or more of their day in meetings. And many of those are just so poor and so ineffective, they're wasting their time. And we give them the, we can give them the numbers that, you know, with a, if you have a group of just 20 people who are spending 35% of their time in meetings, just a 15% increase in their meetings, it's like adding two additional people to the team. Right, because of the efficiency that's there that happens as a result of that. So we we lots of fun doing this, lots of research and getting people to understand. And in the class, where we start with this is we tell people, we tell the leaders, just want to be really clear what's happening in your organization. The level of meetings have gotten so low that bad meetings are considered good. Bad meetings are considered good. And we say, we say to them, you know, That's we're so going to prove it to you. We're going to prove it to you. We're going to give the whole group, we are handing you out now, a 10-question quiz. It's just true or false questions. Just true or false. And can we agree with 10 questions? A passing grade is a D, 60%. A passing grade is 60 And it's just true or false. Yet, 
half of you or more are going to fail this test. In fact, we may have nobody in this room pass this test. So it's just true or false. So would you go ahead and answer the questions? And we have them answer the questions, true or false. We purposely put them on guard to let them know that, hey, and they're simple questions. And I'll, I'll give you one. Um, simple, right? I'm preparing for a meeting. The three most important things to know are the three Ps. Who are the participants? What process you're going to use? And what products do you want to come out of the meeting? True or false? We'll ask them, hey, yeah, at the start of the meeting, after introductions, if necessary, a meeting should generally start with the review or the agenda. True or false? Simple questions like that. Or if you want to ask a question to get lots of ideas, the most important attribute of the question is that it be open-ended. True or false? I just asked three questions. The answer to all three of those questions is false, absolutely false, that the most important thing to know in preparing for a meeting is not the process, the product, the people. It's missing the most important thing. What's the purpose of the meeting? You hear it. I know you I know, know. I know it. The purpose. five P's. I use them all Why the time. Why are we having this meeting? <laughs> yes. And people don't. And hey, after introduction, necessary, start with the agenda. Absolutely yes. false. You start with, here's the purpose of this meeting. Yeah. And here's the product. When executives walk into a room, they want to know two things. Why am I here? When can I leave? That's what they want to know. So you start with purpose. Here's why we're here. Product. When we're done, we have created this and we can leave. Purpose and product. Hey, if you want to ask a question to get lots of answers, the most important attribute is it's open-ended. Absolutely false. The most important attribute is that your question creates an image so your people in the meeting can see their answers. And so anyway, that's it's just... It's a type B uh, question is what you used it's to call it. I don't know if you still call it. That's so exactly what we call it. Yeah, type B, you know your stuff. Yeah. on my brain, dear. There you go. <laughs> my really point of bringing it up is we use that yes. quiz. Yeah, that's perfect. Today, right at the beginning of the class to wake people up and go, yes. oh my God. Yeah, okay, I've never had it. a masterful meeting in my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's perfect. Awareness. That's a perfect way to stoke interest and help people see, wait a minute, there is a better way. Because I think people there just think they just think meetings stink and they always stink. Exactly. And that's just the way it is. Actually, um, if I could change your statement. When I ask people in a class, hey, raise your hands if you think the meetings generally in your organization stink. Nearly uh, all the hands go up. Yeah. I say, would you keep your hand up if you think your meetings stink? Nearly all the hands go down. Oh, so people no. think other people's meetings stink. Other people need to yeah. be in the training, not them. Yeah. You get the idea. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty yeah. funny. That's good. Yeah. So the skills and the thing about meetings is you need these tools and you need and Michael breaks them down perfectly. You need the tools and you need to make time to plan and think through the meeting before the meeting happens. Um, and if you don't do it, nobody else is going to, and it will be ineffective. And if you don't use Michael's mm. tools, it's going to continue to stink and you can continue to waste time. So there you go. I appreciate it. Thanks. So, and that really is it. That really is it. Meetings can wholeheartedly make a difference inside of a corporation. Yes. In fact, that book you mentioned, The Masterful Meetings, one of the things that we, the dream for that book, and we've had a few organizations take advantage of it. So it's, it's got a blue cover, The Secrets to Masterful Meetings, but we want the red cover book, The Secrets to Masterful Meetings at Coca-Cola. 
and the orange cover book, The yeah. Secrets to Masterful Meetings at, at Home, Home Depot. Depot. Yes. The brown book, The Secrets yeah. to Masterful Meetings at UPS. All oh, so people, people who say, are here hey. in Atlanta. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So when you come into our organization, here's how we meet around here. Yes. Uh, so we've had Santander, the bank, do that. The Secrets to Masterful Meetings at Santander. We've had the United Way system do it. The Secrets to uh, Masterful Meetings at United Way and so on. And so organizations creating their version of the book. Yes, so that, I love that's that. That's what they're handing to their people who join their company. This is the way we meet around here. Yep, that's awesome. Big impact. It's a si mm -hmm. uh, silent killer of energy and engagement and productivity in organizations. I don't know how silent wow, it is. It's, that's amazing. You should say that because that's the is. name of one of our free webinars. Oh, the silent cool. killer. Well said. Hey, I didn't you even are, know that. That was not a plan. Yeah. You, you are channeling our marketing team. They are loving you right now. It's true. It's true, though. It is true. So it is once you know the difference, your willingness to sit through, and especially if you're a very busy person, which I feel like I am, and I know many people, everyone listening to this call is, once you know the difference and you're super busy and you don't have a lot of time, it's like your patience for ineffective meetings is short. So, yeah, our courses generate two types of people. Yes. Those who are meeting snobs, right? <laughs> I'm a meeting like, snob. like yourself, yes. who say, you know what, I'm sorry, tell me about your meetings. Do yes. I want to, it's like, you know how you have hotel snobs, people yes. who only stay at certain hotels. Meeting, meeting snobs, snob. we yes. produce those. But yes, the other we produce me. is who you are as well. And those are meeting revolutionaries. Um, people who yeah. are really spreading the word about Hey, you know what? We need to have a revolution here. This meet these meetings stink. <laughs> yeah. Let's have a different type of meeting. So we're producing yeah. those two yeah. meeting snobs, meeting revolutionaries. We'll yeah. take either one. I like it. I like it. I like it. So awesome work on taking a facilitative approach. Why facilitated leaders have greater success is actually the name of Michael's book, The Eight Core Practices of Facilitated Leaders. And want to segue now, Michael. And at the end, we're going to give links to how to access the book and get a discount. I think there's a 10% discount if they put That's in a correct. close. So we're going you. to listen to the end and you're going to see that. And we'll share Michael's contact information and his organization. Uh, but just kind of want to segue this part to just say good on you, Michael, and your team for what you've pulled together here. I know it's going to have great impact. I encourage everyone listening to take action on this discussion and go get the book, study it, and start implementing those core practices. They will make a huge difference in your life and in your work as a professional. I believe it. I know it. I've seen it. So there we go. So what I want to do now, though, is, Michael, jump into a little bit about you. And we'll move quickly through this in the interest of saving your time. But let's do a couple of these about you and your career, because you've had a very interesting career and you're a very interesting person. Um, who's most influenced you in your life? And what did wow. they do that helped you? And that's a very cool question, because in the book, The Eight Core Practices of Facilitative Leaders, I actually dedicate the book, mm -hmm. and I'm reading it now, dedicated uh -huh. to the 14 people who over my lifetime have most influenced my development as a leader in order of appearance in my life. Uh -huh. And so it's been phenomenal, this group of people from, of course, my mom, Reverend Randy, a uh, professor I had in ninth grade oh. who taught me English and yeah. gave me a D 
I went from a D plus with a plus effort to a D <laughs> with a plus effort to a D minus with a plus effort. Where and finally I got a C plus. Now I'd never had gotten less than an A minus in my entire life. This professor just uh, I was so over my head, and he said, "Michael, I'll never fail you as long as you keep trying." Now Aww. just think about what D minus, what a plus effort means. You're yeah. trying, kids, but, <laughs> so, but I'm just being was, real with you. You don't have yeah, this one yet. Yeah. Yeah, right. But because of him, when I went off to college, Dartmouth College, aced English and have written six books. Oh, right. that's Geyer, beautiful. Right. He, yes. he put it to me. He really did. Yeah, he wasn't afraid of conflict. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. But there are three people in particular, and this is later in life now. These are three professional relationships. I have a picture of me and Ken Blanchard sitting at a table talking. Just a wonderful. He is, of course, an icon in the leadership and management field. And he is somebody that I get to see once a year. We're a member of, a, of the same organization. And he's well done. Uh, well spelled W-H-A-L-E. It's all about how trainers train wells to jump over um, sticks and do what they do. And his parable story really talks through what we as leaders have to do. And very much it is the connect first, correct second. And so he is among my 14. Also, Patrick Lancioni, just mm. phenomenal author. Yes. And his work, probably the, the work that, um, that I would have to cite because love all his books, but The Advantage which really talks about the advantage healthy organizations have over smart organizations. Healthy organization is organizations, as you read his stuff, you see, Susie, it's organizations that take a facilitative approach, mm -hmm. that engage people, that have clarity around vision and so on, are very different from organizations that are smart, have the best marketing people, have the best strategy, have the best and healthy organizations outform smart organizations over and over again. And he calls it the advantage, and he talks about how to do that. And the third is Anne Herman A.D. Anne heads up the, uh, the Herman International, which is the uh, creators of the HBDI assessment. And Anne is a personal friend. She has done such an amazing job of helping me to appreciate differences, appreciate DIS and C, appreciate the red, blue, green, yellow, appreciate the different styles, and then to recognize how to actually adjust so that you maximize the relationship, maximize the results, maximize what's happening with the other person. Mm -hmm. She taught me not to value it and then strategies of how to execute it. Awesome. Um, and it, it's just three amazing people. And just uh, people have been just impactful in my life. That's awesome. Love it. And I love that you have all of that in your in the front of your book, at least the 14 people listed. Uh, yeah. Isn't that great? That is awesome. So what about uh, books or training programs? You mentioned a couple of the books here from, and uh, we'll have true. links to that in the show notes. Well Done, The Advantage, and of course links to you in the show notes. But any additional books that have been or training programs that have really that really stand out for you or oh, excellent well start with why of course we have to uh, mention simon sinek's work that's yep, really yep. important work and what it's been what it's done and help people understand 
Yeah. Or the uh, in, the, in the facilitation world, the person who I think is the greatest thinker in our field of facilitation, Roger Schwartz wrote The Skilled Facilitator, uh -huh. um, which yeah. really does a great job of focusing the work. And if you know Bill Treasurer's work, uh, Right Risk and Understanding How to Be a Risk Taker, he does a fantastic job there. I guess the last one I'd mention is probably because we are growing as an organization and that, that that work is important. Growing pains, which is for anyone who is leading an organization, no matter how small, that you want to grow. The book does an amazing job of explaining to move from, and they document seven levels of organization growth. To move from level one to level two, you have to have this in place. If you don't, when you get to level two, you'll fail. To move yes. from level two to level three, you have to have this in place. If you don't, when you get to level three, you will likely fail. And they cite organization after organization that you heard of and then wonder, hey, what happened to them? And sure enough, oh, they're citing what they yeah. didn't have when they moved to level two or what they didn't have when they moved to level three. And as a result, result what happened? And that yeah. book has helped me make all kinds of decisions yes. about in my company about, okay, I know this is going to be painful. But we have to do this. We yes. have to make this investment yes. because if we move to the next level without it, we're going to fall on ourselves. We're going to. Yeah. yeah. So very, very helpful in providing a roadmap for, hey, the things you have to do to move from one to the other. I hope that's helpful. Yes, that's awesome. Seven stages of growth is actually mm -hmm. somebody I did a podcast with that uh, works with us um, um, around that those seven levels. So oh, nice. That's awesome. Yes, yeah, so it's neat that you mentioned that, and we will have links to those in the show notes. So we're about waking up eager here. That is my podcast, Wake Up Eager Workforce. And so, and I also have do Wake Up Eager Wednesday tips and things about mind, body, spirit. So, putting you on the spot, what are some of your favorite things that you do, mind, body, spirit, that help oh, you wake up eager? Isn't it interesting? <laughs> so, okay, so you're going to get a, a rare insight to Michael. Okay? Oh, good. This um, is what we want. So, did you study psychology in school? I did. did you, you did. So you know that. If there's a spectrum from zero to 100, that what psychologists done have, they have randomly chosen a point, let's say it's 70, and they put a line at 70 on zero to 100 and said, people to the left of this line are sane, people from zero to 70, people over 70 are considered insane. It's just an arbitrary line. But what that says is that we have all the same things in us that those who are considered clinically insane have, but to a good degree that we have controlled it. So it's just a spectrum. And so for me, when I think of people with multiple personalities, I recognize I have them too. I just control them better those than those who are. So I've been able to name six different people inside of me, <laughs> six different people. And the reason it's so cool is that it allows me to decide, okay, who do I want to ride, drive my bus today? Or who do I want to drive the bus right now? Because each one of them have their advantages and disadvantages. And so I'll just name three, because if I kept going, you'd go, Ooh, Michael, this is, we don't want to do therapy here. <laughs> so, I love it. Yeah, we have James, right? James is, when I wake up with James, um, I give him that name because uh, the Bible says, uh, James, the book of James says, faith without works is dead. James is about work. 
James is about getting things done. When I wake up in the morning, James is ready to rock. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do this other thing. Let's do this. James is great at getting stuff done. James <laughs> writes the books. Yeah. James does the webinars. James does his thing. He's good at that. That's what he does. Then you have Carl. I'm calling critical Carl. Carl is my process improver. When Carl wakes up in the morning, the first thing he's thinking about is something that needs to get fixed or someone who's did something that needs to get addressed or somebody. So Carl is that guy. He's good at analysis, but his analysis is often focused on what's wrong mm -hmm. as opposed to what's right. That's just what Carl does. We have Michael, and Michael, um, if you look it up, says, he who is like God. Michael is my spiritual self. Michael is the one who wants to bring out the best in everyone. Michael is the one who recognizes that everyone was given by our creator this amazing part, this divine thing, their superpower. Unfortunately, we've layered all this crap on top of it that people see the crap and not the superpower. And so we don't have to become anything because we're already it. We just have to get rid of all this crap. And so my role in life is to help people recognize who they really are and the strength that they have inside of them and to inspire them to get rid of the stuff that's getting in their way. And so sometimes I wake up and Michael is in the bus and in the driver's seat. So from a mind standpoint, you can imagine when Michael wakes up in the morning, right, Michael is the one who is, okay, let's spend our 15 minutes reading our inspirational thing, meditating, really getting quiet and ready to go, right? If Michael wakes up, if James wakes up first thing in the morning, it is all about, okay, good. Grab the pad. You got some things you're thinking about. Write them down. Let's get going. Let's get going. Or... If one of the others wake up in the morning, first thing, it's okay. We got enough time to do a 30-minute workout. Let's rock. Let's get it rolling. Or as we say, if um, one of the others wake up in the morning, it's really I'm thinking about the people who are close to me. And what do I need to be doing to reaching out today? So it's really based on who I allow to drive my bus. And so oftentimes as I go through my planning my day and planning how I want to spend the morning, my best morning is I have an hour and a half, 90 minutes to do my spiritual work, do my body work, do my relationship work. Mm. What a great way to start the day. But the big key is I get to choose who drives the bus. Mm. Somebody will wake up and they will take the driver's seat right away. But me, I get to choose. Do I want the person to drive the bus? There you go. And yeah. by the way, one of the characters in there that I haven't talked about is Mikey. He's a <laughs> pure little guy who's fearful of everything, fearful of, yeah, and he's someone to manage, that's for sure. Oh, we all. And you know what I love so much about what you just shared, but I've done quite a few podcasts about axiology, which is the science in the trimetrics assessment that measures how we think and make decisions. And it's interesting that you have six characters and the three that you just named are fit the six dimensions or fit fit three of the six dimensions in Hartman's work of axiology, which is there's an intrinsic, which is the feeling, um, feeling spiritual part of us. That's the spirit. Mm. And it's, you know, unending. 
and multi-layered, and, but it's all about your goodness and, and caring and feeling. It's the extrinsic, so that's the getting things done part of who we are, and the systemic, which is the black and white rules process. Mm. Um, and that we move in and out of those. And so his work was groundbreaking. Hartman's is because it just is. He was friends with Maslow when they were coming up with this, you know, so it's Very all, cool. all ties together. So I just loved hearing that. I was writing intrinsic, systemic, extrinsic when you were oh, talking. Okay, there you go. So that I is beautiful, beautiful that you shared you'll, that. You'll, you'll include a link in the podcast for that, the work that you're doing around the intrinsic, extrinsic, and so yes. on. And uh, I'd yes. love to take a look at that. Yes, will do. That's awesome. I love the way you shared that too. And I love that you actually named them. I was like, oh, I need names yeah. for my parts of myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it helps, right? Because yes. it's, people often think, I have a friend, unfortunately, who's, he says, you know what, I'm depressed. You know, it, it feels awful. I, and I had to give him the verbal slap in the face, mm-hmm. right? Stop that. Don't ever say that again. You are not depressed. You're feeling depressed. The person you have driving your bus right now may be depressed, but that's not you. You are someone entirely different. You are this person who is amazing. You are this. Just right now, you're letting someone else drive the bus, and that's okay. But that ain't you. Don't ever get confused. That is not you. Period. End of story. <laughs> I love that. I love that. so he smiled true. and said, you're right. Hadn't thought about it that way. But that's true. We just have to. And so when people understand, you know, their different selves, all of them are part of them, but it's not them. It's just part of them. And Mm -hmm. don't get confused. Don't ever get confused. Otherwise, yeah, you got people thinking they're not this. I mean, if I were thinking I was Carl all the time, can you imagine? God, I'm such a critical SOB. Gee, I just hate it. No, no, no. Carl's the critical SOB. And when I let him drive the bus, that's what comes out. And my job is to use Carl effectively, not ineffectively, because I love people. I used to think I hated people sometimes. And what it really was, was, right, my blood sugar was low. I needed to eat. I was hangry. (laughs) But just just think if we, I mean, here Snickers has a name for it, right? They call it hangry, right? And how that's going to help so many people when they realize that's not you. That's not you. That's just what you're experiencing right now. Don't ever get confused and think it's you. Anyway, we're really off. Sorry. No, it's beautiful. (laughs) It's, it's, it's the, at the end of, end of our life, people who've come back from death and are still here say, I felt so accepted. Mm. Um, I felt so accepted. Mm -hmm. I felt like, Oh, nothing I was doing was wrong. And there we go. I mean, and so when we judge these different parts of ourselves, we're not, and it's a journey for all of us, but we all have Absolutely. Mikey and Carl and you know, aspects of that. But if we could just accept them, like you're talking about, naming them is a great mm-hmm. way to do it. So, mm-hmm. and if we could accept now, then we can have heaven now and we can be someone who promotes heaven with others, you know, so I'm constantly working on myself in regard to not to seeing what I see and acknowledging that, but at the end of the day, not judging people or myself for having seen it, you know, and to find acceptance it in it. And it's such a much happier, joyful way to live, you know. <laughs> and, and 
Susie, I didn't know that we shared similar spiritual beliefs, and some on the podcast may be concerned when you say you can experience heaven today. And I would just remind them that if that's threatening to you, please replace heaven with any word you want. You can experience happy. joy can, at any you minute. Happy, because you're yeah. happy in any yeah. minute. That is good feelings, appreciation. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Nirvana, whatever yeah, word you want. Whatever use, you want to call it. That, but the cool thing with what you're saying, Susie, that I love is it's a choice. We are not victims. It is a choice. And just as leaders, leaders, guess what? You can help your people experience choice and recognize that they can impact the environment they're creating. And you can, too. Yeah. And the facilitative leaders get that and understand it and engage people in creating the kind of environment and decision making. That works for everyone. Okay, Michael, let's talk about some uh, fun get-to-know-you questions. Where did you grow up? Oh, I grew up in D.C., actually. I was, uh, I'm was i a projects kid. I grew up in the projects of D.C. As we like to say, in our neighborhood, people would say, we're so poor, the roaches eat all our food. And we would say, well, we are so poor, we don't have roaches. <laughs> right? so it, was, it was my shift, my break in life came. I was uh, serving papers, uh, paperboy for the Washington Post back in the days when they had paperboys. What a great job. It raised money for my family and everything. And uh, the Post building was sponsoring interviews for private schools and any post carrier could go to the interviews. And so I went. And I actually got a skin. This is if uh, Bill Bradley, if you remember the publisher for the book, yes. ended up getting or the yeah, ended up Bill Bradley was part of me getting a scholarship to go to a New England boarding school. Actually, it was a school he went to called St. Mark's. My graduating class was 50 people, 50 people in the grad. Now, here I am coming from the hood, this public school thing. And that's a professor guy. You remember the deep minus with the plus yes. effort? Yes. He was my first English oh, teacher there. Oh, how about that? Um, yeah. And our class was General Patton's grandson. The, uh, and these names won't mean anything to you, but you'll get the picture. The Loares of Long Island, the Stacks of Greenwich, Connecticut. This was a very rich school. And I was, of course, the only black face in the school. Uh, and as we like to say, we, uh, you know how your books have first to make a million in the superlative stage. We had already had a million and there were two names on the list. Okay, wow. so it was a pretty, And my uh, test scores, I had uh, my senior year, I did a correlation study of grades and test scores and the registrar gave me the test scores and grades for the senior class, stripped off the names. So it was anonymous. But he left them in alphabetical order. Okay. So finding Wilkinson in a list of 50 wasn't really difficult <laughs> at all. And to say my test scores were the lowest in the group would be an understatement. My test scores were so much lower that clearly they had reached out and pulled me in. I was an affirmative action case, no question. But I graduated fifth in the class. Oh, my goodness. And so what I say is, I don't think it's necessarily fair that I took someone's place, that they reached down and pulled me up. But it also wasn't fair that I was poorly prepared. And so yeah. but because of that action, right, I went on to uh, an Ivy League school, went on to Dartmouth and came out and so on. So it was just a wonderful, wow. wonderful blessing for me just, you know, and uh, what was done by the Post and um, UPS paid my way through college. And so it was That's great. Beautiful. I never knew that. So how did you go from 
you know, I think you were a consultant out of when you graduated from college, but I'm not sure. But how did you get into yeah, the facilitation right. world? Yeah, so that's really interesting, isn't it? For most of us, because there's no front front door to facilitation. You don't come out of college and say, I have a BA in facilitation, right? It's all backdoor, right? Some people come through, most people, many people come through the HR side, right? Organization development side into facilitation. Um, some uh, come from the uh, quality side. I came from the IT side. So oh. I came out as a, I was a math and math, math and social sciences major, applied math. The first 14 years of my career was in computers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started out as a programmer, moved up. If you know the four stages of systems, I moved up. So programmers are the bottom feeders, moved up into design, moved from design to analysis, moved from analysis to planning, planning systems, then moved from planning systems to planning for business. So over a 14-year career, I'd moved out of systems. Facilitation we were using and loved it, just loved the facilitation. It was a cool, because normally when you do systems work, you'd interview individual people, you get all the information, you figure some of them was wrong, you had to go back a second time, reconcile the differences. Then we started bringing people together in the same room and started running facilitated sessions. Loved it. For some reason, I was natural at it and so on and so forth. Started doing it for my church. Susie, where those two-hour board meetings started facilitating those in their weekend oh, retreat. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Then started doing it for my association that I was a part of, the Black Data Processing Associates, and then got the call that completely changed my life. It was April uh, 1991. Got a call from Connie Bergeron, ITT Sheraton in Atlanta. She had been named the president-elect of Meeting Professionals International, the Atlanta chapter. She wanted to hold a retreat on a weekend a couple of months away, and she'd wondered if I would facilitate the retreat. I checked my schedule. I was available. I said, sure, I'd be glad to. And again, she said the words that changed my life, and we'll pay you. Yes. <laughs> like, yippee, skippy. Really? Yay. I mean, like, I would have done it for free because I was doing it for free. Yes. So she paid me. Three months later, she called me back, mentioned the pay word again. Two months later, called me back. Uh, I was 18 months. It was November 1992. I was 18 months from becoming a partner at Ernst & Young. I turned to them and said, guys, I'm having so much more fun on the weekends. Left Ernst & Young. The next day started Leadership Strategies, the facilitation company, world headquarters, our second bedroom. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it was just one. And today, as you know, we're the largest provider of professional facilitators in the country with over 600 facilitators under contract and the largest provider of facilitation training. We've trained 27,000 people in facilitation skills. We have 13 facilitation courses, all cool stuff. It's amazing. An amazing Uh, blessing. It was meant to be. You're destined to do this and more. So it's awesome. Mm, It's been fun. So I'm going to jump to the next question. Well, this is a silly question. So I almost after all that, I'll just hit it real quick. What's your favorite guilty pleasure TV show? I was going to skip you know over what? it, but it's a fun I'm one. Embarrassed. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say it. How did I'm I know really it would be something good? What? Yeah, really. It's um, Love Island. Oh, it's never heard a, of it. Uh, yeah, it's a reality TV show, which I hate reality TV. <laughs> but... People being negative, fighting one another, and it just doesn't. I'm a positive person. This was the first show where it was like there was a girl's code, there was a guy code. Everybody was working together 
to find love. And it was just, I was amazed that I was intrigued. It happened to be on and I, I watched about 15 minutes while doing something else and got completely sucked in, saw every single episode, couldn't wait. It was amazing. I was, I mean, I was like surprised. Me, Love Island. Oh my God. Okay, good. I love that you shared that because now that gives me a good new show to go check out. That's awesome. Okay. What advice would you give your 25 year old self? You know, it really is about belief, isn't it? Just believe you can and be fearless and don't be afraid of mistakes. Believe you can be fearless. Just don't be afraid of mistakes because you're going to make them. It's not the mistake that's ever the issue. I'm a learner. I pay attention. You know, there's some people who have 10 years of experience, but there are a lot of people who have one year of experience 10 times. Yes. I want to make the mistake. So when I have 10 years of experience, I'm learning and applying and learning and applying and learning and applying. And as you can imagine, every book I've ever written has come from the applying and learning some more and the applying. It's almost like you don't want to write the book because you know you're not finished learning. And so that's why you update books because you get better learning. Mm. Yeah, you believed you could and you were fearless when you left Ernst Young with 18 months away mm. and, and said leadership strategies, the, with a capital T-H-E, I think, facilitation company. You had the vision. That's awesome. Mm. Awesome. So if you could put a billboard anywhere, what would it be? Wow. You know what it would be? I think I bet you know it. So you'd see people inside of a company working on something, clearly being productive. And laughing and really you, you see the energy, but you also see the results coming in this one picture and the word, the secrets of facilitation, it works. Mm. And then there would be some website URL. That's all it would be. Oh, very good. Talk about, you know, my bias, which is how can I create a wake up big workforce? It, it's that's I love the idea of a picture. And people are productive and laughing. They want to be there. You know, if I wake up here, I want to be doing what I do. I'm in the right place. I'm doing the right things with the right people. And we're getting results. Love it. Love it. And facilitation does work. It really Um, does. And with our last item, as it relates to taking a facilitative approach, what would be your one last bit of wisdom or advice that you would like every listener leader, person listening to this, to think about and know in regard to TAFA, taking a facilitation approach. You are so masterful, Susie. You've already had me answer the question. It's Mm -hmm. the billboard, isn't it? Mm -hmm. The secrets of facilitation. It works. Mm -hmm. It really works. And if you want a decision to be effective, you remember that formula ed equals rd times cd oh i've shared that so much yes to share it again (laughs) yes if you want a decision to be effective ed an effective decision equals the right decision most people say put a period there if you want it to be effective it's the right and we say no effective decisions equals the right decision times commitment to the decision Meaning you as a leader, you might know the right decision. But if your people have zero commitment to it, how effective is it? Zero. Anything times zero is zero. If you know exactly what your client needs to do, you know what the right decision is. 
but your client has zero commitment to it, it's zero. Zero. There we go. It's zero. The thing that facilitation does as a leader is you're getting the people impacted by the decision in the room, helping create the solution or one-on-one with you, helping getting their ideas on the table. You are coming up with the right decision and building commitment at the same time. You are maximizing those two parts of the formula. You do that, you get effective decisions every time. Couldn't think of a better way to close out. And that is a perfect summary of uh, so much of what we've talked about today. And in our notes, I'll have, I'm going to give everybody the information uh, on your, if they want to get an autographed copy of the book, they can go to your website and I'll have links to it, leadstrat.com and also to your keynote speaker website, michaelthefacilitator.com. And if you use a promo code to buy this book, eight core podcast, eight, the number eight core podcast, you'll get a 10% discount. And that's through the end of this month. So you have the whole month of October. So this is being recorded October the 2nd, 19, or sorry, (laughs) 2019, uh, to get that discount. And you get an autographed copy of the book. Is that right? You'll get an autographed copy? That's exactly right. In fact, we uh, we have certified the first thousand copies, and they still we are still under that number. So there's still numbers. If you actually purchase in the month, I suspect we will still have certified copies that are numerated as well. That you have certified copy number seven hundred eleven or whatever the number might be. With oh, my, that's awesome. Yeah, with my Your autograph signature. on it as well. So those those will be in the show notes. And Michael, I know you have a hard stop. Thank you so much for your time, for your sharing, for the good work that you're doing. I'm so glad that the post put you on the, or you put you on the path by being open and inquisitive and being you, but that those opportunities were afforded to you because you continue to make a difference in the world. And it's awesome. So thank you. Thank you. Well, I so appreciate you. And yes, you know your superpower and you are using it so well. (laughs) Thank you very much. Take care. So hopefully you learned tips and tools, you're feeling inspired, you now have a greater understanding, if you didn't already have, of the power of facilitation and that it is to make things easy. And that facilitation is about getting people who are impacted by the decisions involved in making the decisions. And when you say it like that, it just makes so much sense to do it. So it's crazy that we don't. So flip that switch. And it is a switch to flip a bit in regard to, okay, I don't have to be the expert. I don't have to command and make sure everybody knows I know what I know. It's funny, you flip the switch and you become more of the one who's curious and asking questions and having great, great strategies in regard to how to get people involved, doing inquiry. And you all of a sudden, without commanding and controlling, are have more command and have more control. It's an interesting dynamic. Um, and uh, I would say flip the switch, become more curious, become more inspirational and visionary, get people involved, take advantage of the magic of Michael, get his books, and in particular, this one that we've talked about today. If you get it during the month of October 2019, which is when we're recording this, you will get a 10% discount and maybe end up with one of the signed copies. The websites are leadstrat.com and michaelthefacilitator.com. And the code is eight, the number eight core podcast, all together, one word uh, and capitalize. 
So you can find all of that at our show notes at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash facilitation. You can find all that information about getting the book and, and getting to him and his classes. He talked at the end uh, how he became a facilitator and kind of stumbled in it. Um, but what I guess is he's probably was doing so much of being a facilitator a lot of his life without knowing that's what he was doing. And when I look back at my life, here's a little bit about my journey of getting to where I am today and facilitation, how that became a kind of a foundation of, uh, of my life and, and what brings meaning to me in my work is I think it's something I've done in, in one shape or form in an uneducated way. Initially <laughs> my whole life, I've always been someone who listened and related, um, was very c- encouraging. I always had multiple networks of friends from all from the kids who were smoking weed out in the, you know, place you weren't supposed to be out in the field with the school to the prep students who were making straight A's. I always had a mix of friends and always was facilitating conversations between them, uh, facilitating differences between different people, uh, trying to make things easier for people. Always wanted to help people get to where they want to go. Always wanted to have fun. Always wanted to help people and encourage them. I did that in my own family as well. That led to, uh, in college, um, a journalism major because I I think part of what I liked about knowing the different types of people was just a curiosity. How do different people live? Uh, what can I learn from how they're living and how can I apply that to my life? Um, and then as I understand people, then I get better at facilitating and listening, you know, getting people involved in discussions, learning and listening is a big part of facilitation is listening, being inquisitive, wanting to know. Um, so for my journalism major led to corporate human resource roles at NCR, State Farm and Oracle. And I didn't go into journalism straight because I lived in a small town and uh, I needed to make money. I didn't have enough money to live and I couldn't go work for one of the small television stations and actually live. <laughs> so it led me to corporate, which is actually uh, makes a lot of sense because um, corporations tend to be uh, related to return on investment and a utilitarian focus. So part of my focus was utilitarian. I need to have some economic return so I can live and that's a priority. And so that started my corporate career in human resources. And it's just a perfect mix. And when human resources, you don't have a lot of you have a lot of influence. You can have a lot of influence and you have a lot of visibility, but you don't always have the authority to make people do anything. So if you want to get people to have success and do anything, you need to be facilitative. You need to encourage and influence by listening and um, helping. And so I think that was a good skill set to bring to those roles. And I often got noted for that. Um, I was working at Oracle Software, and I had a boss I didn't enjoy very much. In fact, she has been a stories, many of my stories on leadership about what not to do. Um, and she wasn't very complimentary. But part of our role was to bring together different factions of the organization in the U.S., Canada, and Latin America and get them on the same page in regard to different processes and how they were promoting and pay scales and leadership. And so I just started having a lot of conversations with people and I was able to get 
people together from many different divisions and get them to, to agree on things. And it ended up being in front of the room of these uh, very strong-willed, uh, we don't want to change, we want to do it my way, people and getting them to agree to come together. And I think one of the only compliments my boss that I didn't like very much said to me one day was, you're really good at that. How do you know how to do that? You know, I didn't know what that was, but that compliment really caught me off guard. And I'm like, okay, that was, okay, I brought a bunch of people together and I helped them discuss and I helped them make a decision and we took action. How about that? And who knew that's actually a skill set. <laughs> and I found out that consultants need that skill set. So I ended up going to a consulting company called Right Management and I became a trainer and facilitator and also had clients and did sales and just learned a lot about assessments and consulting. And it's that same role in regard to where you're working with people and you can't make them do anything, but what you want to do is understand what's important to them and help them get to where they want to go. Um, so I was at Wright. I wanted to continue to facilitate. They really wanted me to stay in Wright Management was the organization. They wanted me to stay in the sales side of it. And so the part of me that's very theoretical in the motivators that loves to learn and is super curious said, well, okay, I can do sales, but I really want to be learning. And so that led to priceless professional development. I was 38 years old at the time. It was um, 2004. I didn't know what I didn't know, but I figured I'd figure it out. And lo and behold, those things came along, such as assessment company and the Hartman work. Both of those pieces, when they came along, I mean, I don't think I slept for a week because I knew they were pieces that were going to be important to me. Further down the road, I found the website tool that allowed me to be in charge of my online presence and allowed me to do things like the podcast and things um, that it's, it's, I see the website tool, SBI, as a... Uh, as a facilitator for my business because of the flexibility it gives me. And there's so much that I can do on my own. And then the piece of, of the other piece of the puzzle that came together was, okay, I'm going out to groups and I'm not always feeling great after the event. I, I am thinking I did what they asked me to do, but it was bumpy. Um, but apparently it was effective enough because the same people would call me back, but it's like, I know this can be better. I need their skills. I'm missing somehow. <laughs> and it was the facilitation skills, the actual strategies, the very specific things that Michael teaches. It's that Michael magic about how do you open a session? How do you hold a meeting? How do you help people understand a disagreement? How do you help people? What processes do you use to help them get through disagreement? I mean, I actually today facilitate and I'm Got something going on right now where I facilitate conflict between players in business and I call it communication resolution. Um, but there's so much that I do related to facilitation and related to the skills that I learned through that Michael Magic and through his programs. So it has um, been a great, great ride. And um, the leadership strategy skills that Michael teaches has been a big piece of it and will continue to be. And it's interesting as a leader and as a facilitator, and if you ever do any speaking, you never, ever finalize the mastery of those skills. And I think that's exciting, not frustrating. You never finish the leadership journey in regard to, I've mastered it all because there's always going to be another situation. You know, people are so interesting. So it's always such an opportunity as a facilitator, a speaker, a trainer, a leader to continually grow and refine your ability to 
impact, to express, to speak well, to say and do the things that are going to help people come along with and uh, help it make it easy so that people can. I mean, this is my this is my thing. Uh, people can get to where they want to go. And, um, oh, that makes me emotional just saying it, but people can get to where they want to go and that you can play a part and I don't need to be a big part, but if I can be a handoff part somewhere along the journey, that's, that's a life well lived. And so I just thank you for being a part of this journey here at Wake Up Eager Workforce and appreciate you tuning in. If you have any feedback about this episode, love you to share it. We always could benefit. I don't ask enough for iTunes reviews. Um, but if this episode or others are effective and helpful to you, please leave us a review on iTunes and or just share this episode with people. If you see us on social media, we're on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn and Facebook, all with the Wake Up Eager or Susie Price moniker. So you can find us, um, but share, share what you see and uh, comment and let others know about us. Thank you so much. We'll see you on the next episode. All the best. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 